0: Our Old Testament lesson this morning will come from the book of Jeremiah. We'll be reading Jeremiah chapter 33. We'll be reading verses 14 through 16. Jeremiah 33, verses 14 through 16. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called The Lord is our righteousness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many of you, during the Thanksgiving holiday, Thanksgiving week, I know tra- many of you traveled. We traveled as I know many of you did, and I'm sure most of you during your travels this uh, this week probably found yourself in Peru at some point. I'm guessing Peru is probably a standard place for traveling to this year. You probably missed something when you were in Peru, but next time you're, you're there, I want you to pay attention to something when you're in your travels down there next time a really fascinating thing in Peru called the, the Nazca Lines. I don't know if any, any of y'all ever heard of the Nazca Lines. I was reading about this week as I was working on the sermon. The Nazca Line is this really interesting um, thing. It's out, it's out kind of uh, on, the, on the, I believe, on the western side of the Andes Mountains, the main mountains kind of running uh, through Peru. And uh, if you were in the middle of it, like if you were just walking along and following yourself the Nazca Lines, you would think, Huh, it's a bunch of rocks there and some ditches. That's weird. And that's really all you would think. You would just you would find yourself in the middle of nowhere in the Peruvian desert, out by the mountains, and you would have just found yourself amongst a bunch of rocks and ditches for a bizarre reason that no one understood why. And for hundreds of years, folks thought, hmm, huh, that's weird. But that's all they could really think of. There was nothing else they knew about it other than the fact that for some bizarre reason. Out in the middle of nowhere in Peru, there were these rocks and ditches that no one knew what they were for. About a hundred years or so ago, a little thing called um, happened called airplanes, and for the first time ever, people were able to fly. And I know flying is a it's a true joy. You know, it's, and flying really is designed for only those that are four foot two and eighty pounds. For the rest of us, it's not much fun. Um, but when flight began to happen, people began to fly over the world. And so some folks flew over the Nazca Lines. And from the ground would look to be just a bunch of ditches and rocks from about 10,000 feet. You could see the most beautiful and intricate geographic, geom- geometric shapes, animals humans, birds, all kind of beautiful shapes that have been dug into the ground there. And the rocks have been placed just especially in a way that when you're looking down from on high, you see these beautiful patterns and beautiful displays and beautiful things that are just stunning to look at. E- even if you were to climb a nearby mountain, you might you could catch a glimpse of it. But even on the mountain, you can't really see The beauty of these designs, you really have to see it way up in the sky from a plane to really see the designs and the animals and how beautiful it is. And it wasn't until humans could fly that we could even see it. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, it just looked like a bunch of random rocks and ditches in the middle of nowhere in Peru. But it wasn't until we took flight and can really see it, that we really saw the beauty of these designs, these creations. That frankly, no one knows what they're for to this day. Now uh, th- you know they, some people think it could be something astronomical, so some it could be something with their form of worship. No one knows. But from the ground, from just base level, it's just a bunch of lines and ditches and rocks that don't make a lick of sense. When you're way up in the air, when you're looking above, and looking down at it, what it looks like just a bunch of chaos and nonsense from up high is something stunningly beautiful. That's kind of how things are sometimes, isn't it, y'all? Sometimes we need a little bit of a perception to really see what's happening, don't we? Sometimes we really need to kind of, kind of get above it kind of get out from the base level, to really look at something, to really see what is beautiful there or what that can be there in a way that we may miss whenever we're, when we're just looking at it from the ground view. Today, as, as Kim did such a beautiful job at our, our children's moment today, today's the first Sunday of Advent. This is the season where we prepare ourselves for the birth of Christ. This is the season where as Christians we begin to anticipate, yes, his coming as a babe in Bethlehem, but also his return as a conquering king. And we we start getting our hearts ready, and we start getting our souls ready, and we begin to anticipate not just his birth that began it all, but his return that will complete it all. And what a beautiful day it will be when the Lord returns and restores all things to how they should be. Because right now, if we're going to be honest, we feel like our life is a bunch of ditches and rocks sometimes that don't make a lot of sense. And during Advent, during this season, me and Tim were talking a few weeks back about the Christmas musical on the 12th and what it's going to be about, and how it's going to be some of our favorite hymns, but maybe done a little bit different, some different arrangements. And they got me thinking, what would it look like this Advent season if we were to talk about our traditional themes? Hope, peace, love, joy. These themes that we know so well, that we see represented in our Advent candle. These themes that are part of our Advent. But what if we were to talk about what does it look like to have hope in the year 2021? What does it look like for us to have hope in a world that is seemingly falling apart? What does it look like for us to have hope in the midst of the chaos we find ourselves in? What would that even look like? What would it even mean or even fathomly look like to have hope today? Can we even imagine that? What would it look like to have peace in this world? Well, during the next few weeks in worship, we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about recapturing. Recapturing these traditional ideas and these traditional themes in a way that are relevant and that make sense to us now. Recapture hope. Recapture peace. Recapture joy. Recapture love. And so today, we started off with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, is isn't that a beautiful passage, y'all? Jeremiah, there will come a, there will come, there will come will have a, I will have a a, a, a branch spring up for David. He shall execute justice and righteousness. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. Man, those are beautiful words. What hopeful and beautiful and assuring words. Man, Jeremiah could really write, couldn't he? He could really prophesy. Here's the thing Jeremiah actually had a nickname, and it wasn't bullfrog to him. Come on, you like that one, did you? Come on, come on, come on. His nickname was the weeping prophet. Because when you read through the rest of Jeremiah, you're going to see a lot of tears shed over the fate of Jerusalem. And then if you keep reading beyond Jeremiah, you know what you're going to come to next? Lamentations. Lamentations is the entire book of laments. Dedicated to the destruction of Israel. Dedicated to the destruction of Jerusalem. Dedicated to, to, to the pain that, 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 that they felt. Because when Jeremiah writes this, there's a wolf at the door. And that wolf is Babylon. Babylon, the, the, the ancient enemy of God's people. Babylon, the ancient destroyer. Babylon, the one represented in the book of Revelation as being evil incarnate. Babylon's there. And Babylon is fixing to blow the doors off of Jerusalem. Babylon is fixing to come into town and tear down the wall. And in that world, a city could not stand without a wall. In fact, the entire book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the wall. Babylon destroys the wall. Babylon comes into town. They go to the temple. First, they take all the gold out of the temple and out of the treasury. But then they go and they, they melt the gold off the doors of the temple. And they take all of this back to Babylon. And they don't just take the, the, the treasury and, and, and the wealth back to Babylon. But then they do this. Then they take the youngest, the brightest, the political leaders like Nehemiah, the prophets like Ezra and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they take them off to Babylon. They destroy the city, they rampage it, and they take everything from them. And the only thing left in Jerusalem are the frail and the weak and the old. And Jerusalem, this Jerusalem that is prophesied here, that will dwell in safety, Jerusalem is left desolate and destroyed, and there's nothing there. That's what's happened when Jeremiah was writing this. Jeremiah's not writing this book in the midst of an easy time, y'all. He's writing this book. He's giving this prophecy in perhaps the darkest days of of Judah's history. He's writing this in the midst of Babylon, getting ready to destroy everything holy and sacred and of value. And in that moment, he writes, the days are coming when I will fulfill the promise. I will cause a righteous branch to spring up. Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. Jeremiah, in the midst of this chaos, had hope. And you know why he had hope? He had hope. Because he had faith. He had faith that God was who God said He was. He had faith that God was going to stand by His word. He had faith that God was going to keep His promises. He had faith that God was the sovereign triune God of heaven against no one can, and against no one can stand. And that nothing can defeat God and nothing can stop God and nothing can thwart God. That God is God. And even though it looked bad, even though it looked chaotic, and even though it looked like it was falling apart, he had, fa- he had hope because he had faith that God was who God said he was and that God would keep his promise. Hope is tied to faith. Where there is faith, there is always hope. And our faith is fulfilled, and our faith is strong because of the work of Jesus Christ. And nothing and no one or anything in this world can defeat Christ, his church, or his power. Because we have hope because we have Jesus. And y'all, this world, yes, it may seem crazy right now. I was, uh, I, I, it may seem like it's just falling apart at the seams. But we can have hope because we have faith. We have to keep our faith, our feet, firmly planted in the hope in Jesus Christ. We have to keep our feet firmly planted in the hope that is our salvation in Christ Jesus. We have to keep our faith firmly planted in the hope of God's word. We have to keep our faith firmly Firmly planted in what God has done. Because everything, y'all, everything, everything is gonna to try to pull us away from what God's doing, from what God wants to do, from what God has done. We have to keep our feet planted in faith. And only when our feet are planted in faith will we have hope. But y'all, we've got to realize everything's pulling at us. This battle to be hopeful, this battle to be strong in faith is not easy. You don't believe me? Just log on Facebook. Everybody's mad at everything all the time. Watch the news. Everybody's mad at everything all the time. That's the world we live in. I used to, um, when I was younger, I used to love to go to the fair. Um, Now I'm I'm at the point, I don't really do rides anymore. I have a philosophy. If if me and my buddy can take the ride down overnight with a monkey wrench, I'm not riding it. It's kind of my working philosophy. But I used to love when I was little, I love the little, 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 little spinning thing, the you know, little thing you'd sit on and, um, and, and you'd start going real fast and, and you'd, you'd kind of go backwards and you're, ah! I did, did that a few years ago and I was green as the advent wreath. It was, not, it was not good when it was done. That's the world we live in, y'all. The world's spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning and, spinning, and it wants to pull us. It wants to pull us into anger. And it wants to pull us into despair. And it wants to pull us into hopelessness. It wants to pull us into all these things. The world's spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. And the media's spinning and spinning. And everything's going and going and going and pulling. And we just want to give up. We just want to give up. Because look around, y'all. Look around. There's nothing but ditches and rocks here. How can there be anything good or worthwhile here? There's nothing but ditches and rocks. It's chaos. There's nothing good here. Until you look up through faith. Until you look up through faith. And then from your perspective, well, like a bunch of ditches and rocks, is actually a beautiful picture that God's painting. That might not make a lick of sense to you right now. That you may not be able to understand. That might not even make any sense to you right now. When you're looking at it from ground level. When you look up. When you have a higher perspective. When you're looking through the eyes of faith. What you see as a bunch of ditches and rocks. It's the creative power of God's redemption. How God is painting a story that your mind can't conceive. And your heart would burst if you knew the totality of it. Because His word says in Romans 8 28 that all things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All things. All things. Even the things that look like ditches and rocks, that look disappointing. Like it'll never amount to anything, that look hopeless. Nope, His Word says that's going to work for good. And His Word says in Genesis fifty twenty that what man intended for evil, God intended for good. So the very thing that you think for your destruction or your trouble or your trials or your or your pain, God says no, that thing right there is something that I'm going to use for good because I'm God because I'm sovereign. Because I am the God of grace and mercy and power and redemption. If we look around at the chaos that seems to exist in this moment, then all we'll find is despair. All we'll find is randomness. All we'll find is hurt sometimes. But y'all, y'all, if we can keep our feet planted in the reality of faith, then we'll find our hope reawakened. Because his word says that he will never leave nor forsake us. His word says that he has called us by name and that we are his. And that when the waves come, they will not overwhelm us and the fires will not consume us because he is the Lord our God, the Holy One of Israel. He has promised us that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for He is with us, with us, and His rod and His staff they comfort us. That is what we know to be true, friends. And that is the truth of faith. The truth of faith is that no matter how chaotic it may look, no matter how broken it may seem, no matter how sad it may feel, or how uncertain our hearts may feel in the midst of it, the truth of faith is this: He has never left our side, and that He will, and He will never leave our side. We just gotta look through the eyes of faith, y'all. We just gotta look through the eyes of faith with our human eyes. It's just a bunch of ditches and rocks in the middle of nowhere, of no value, of no worth. But, y'all, through the eyes of faith, it may be the most beautiful painting that God has ever painted. That's where hope comes from, y'all. That's where hope comes from. Hope is a natural product of faith. And, y'all, we're people of faith, y'all. We're people of faith. We have to keep that faith in our heart. We have to understand that we've cheated. We read the back of the book. We know who wins. That No matter how bad it may look or how stressful it may seem, or no matter what's happening, we have nothing to fear because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. There's nothing, there's nothing I dislike more when I see on the Internet. This is the greatest threat to the gospel. Y'all, ain't nothing a threat to the gospel. The gates of hell will not triumph against Christ and his church. Jesus said that himself. We have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, and that we should be people of hope because we are people of God. And greater is he who is in us than he was in the world. If we keep our feet planted in faith, we will be people of hope. So let's log off Facebook. Let's turn off the TV. Let's read our Bible. Let's pray and let's stay connected to each other. One of my mentors, when I'd meet with him when I was younger, <clears throat> every conversation we'd end with, he'd always say, Andy, read your Bible, pray, and stay in love with God's people. That stuck with me throughout the years. Read your Bible, pray, and I say, go to church. In other words, stay connected to each other through this body here. If we do those things, read your Bible, pray, and go to church. We'll keep our feet feet firmly planted in faith. And then we'll see the beauty through faith in even those ditches and rocks that might not look like much. But for God, in God's faith and in God's plan, it may be the most beautiful picture that God's ever painted. Y'all, let's be people of faith. Because when we are people of faith we will be people of hope. Let's live in hope now and always. Let's pray.